Well, welcome back to another episode of Spam 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 Humbug. I will be your host, Barry White. Actually, it's still just with Stan the Fury Dragon, but I've caught a wicked cold, or I'm getting over a wicked cold, and I mostly lost my voice, so I can speak in a rumbling basso, and that's about it. But, hey, whatever. So, we are joined today by Browncoat Jason. Hello. Finally managed to coax him out from, you know, the digital I see him to actually come and talk to us. Uh, and what we are going to be talking about is Underworld Ascendant and the progress that was made on that project during the 2015 calendar year. But before we do that, uh, have a couple of things to say. First off, shout out to the anonymous person or persons who recommended Spam 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 Humbug for... Um, status as a featured podcast on Podbean. That was really cool to uh, discover one day just randomly because they don't notify you. They just, you know, <clears throat> someone recommends you or some people recommend you and then they evidently have their own little internal evaluation process that they do. And if you pass that, then you're listed as a featured podcast and that's really, really cool to see. So shout out to whomever or multiple whomevers, um, through our name in the hat for that. Also, would like to welcome a few new followers and Ultima Dragons. So on Podbean, we've got uh, Game Stalker, Weird Science DC Comics. These are both podcasts. Um, JB Jorn, Doobstar09. My goodness, these usernames. The Signs of Life News, A Street 1211, and Mackers BT6. <clears throat> there we go. Meanwhile, on Facebook, we uh, we welcome several new Ultima Dragons this week. We welcome John, Rick, Julian, Shane, Sven, Kenneth, not me, Visa or Visa, Jim, Keith, Lucas, Marcus, Chris, Tad, Deep, another Marcus, and another Chris. So, welcome and splut to all. Okay, so... Uh, oh, one other note of follow-up from um, previous episodes just in general. To anyone who may have attempted to add me as a friend on Facebook, um, if you do that, uh, please also like shoot me an email, ultimacodex at gmail.com, uh, so that I know who you are. I don't reject friend requests out of hand, but I also don't accept them either if I can't at least find some tenuous connection to something or someone that I know. So, just a note for future reference. So, welcome back to another year of Spam 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 Humbug. This is our third episode of 2016, and we're continuing ringing in the new year uh, with episodes focused on recapping the news pertaining to uh, well, Ultima, uh, so including Ultima Online, hope to get that episode up and record, well, recorded and up in the next week or two here, um, various Ultima fan projects, and also different games that have been inspired by Ultima. So that includes uh, Shroud of the Avatar, I'll be talking to Richard Garriott hopefully next week uh, about exactly that, and uh, also Underworld Ascendant, and maybe if I have time, Shards Online and Crowfall. And I think I need to turn on my notification quiet hours so we don't hear that happy little chime again. So anyways, <coughs> apologies. 
This week, we will be looking at what has transpired with Underworld Ascendant, as I said, over the course of 2015. And this was actually a pretty big year for the project. It first came to light in mid-2014, and it had a... But this year, it had a successful run on Kickstarter. Although for a while, I guess there was room for some doubt as to whether it would make its base goal. Um, its setting was confirmed to be something near and dear to, or I guess, depending on how you look at it, dreaded by Ultima fans. And there was even a tie-in announced with Richard Garriott's Shroud of the Avatar. And then, of course, later on in the year, we even got our first look at the game, at least in prototypical form. <coughs> so, starting in January, uh, and again, like we had seen a little bit of news related to, at the time, it was called Underworld Ascension. Um, and so in early January... Um, other side entertainment started teasing some awesome stuff, some big news coming soon. Um, actually in February, and then that schedule seemed to get moved up a little bit, um, because by about the twentieth of January, the news was imminent. Tomorrow, <coughs> and actually too, I guess <clears throat> there was big news in February too, and we'll get to that in a moment. But on the twenty-first of January. Underworld Ascension was formally renamed to Underworld Ascendant. Note the slight change there. Um, some concept art was released, some music was released, and the launch date for the Kickstarter was announced. February 4th would be the day. Uh, that was followed up by the I am the Avatar hashtag, which started to kick off some speculation as to actually whether uh, Underworld Ascendant and Shroud of the Avatar might be set in the same universe. Um, there was a tweet by Richard Garriott that actually seemed to imply a very close connection between the two games. Uh, it was also confirmed at about that time that the game was being built with Unity. <clears throat> and then um, a few days later, so now getting just right towards the end of January, there was, I'm trying to pull up the article here to make sure that I've got the uh, the details correct. <clears throat> That's right, over on the other side, forums. Um, other side programmer, Jeff, uh, they were all going by first names at the time, popped in to comment and, it, you know, he made the comment regarding the potential link between Ascendant and Shroud of the Avatar. Um, you know, his response was, we are definitely not targeted at the one big shared world idea. Now, to be fair, that wasn't actually a flat-out denial that they're not connected. And, in fact, a few days later, uh, 30th of January 2015, it was confirmed that Underworld Ascendant and Shroud of the Avatar will share backstory and fiction. So, uh, in particular, pertaining to the elves that will inhabit the abyss, these will also uh, these will share a story. Uh, with the elves of Novia and Shroud of the Avatar. And, well, well, we'll get to that particular Kickstarter reward shortly. So, the Kickstarter campaign kicked off on February 4th. And, uh, I mean, it got off actually to a really fine start. And in a rare piece of very excellent coordination by several different parties uh, who, you know, all help out with different pieces of the Ultima Codex. Uh, and Browncoat, you were actually um, in on that, I believe. Um, we kicked off the Underwiki that same day, didn't we? Yes. It 
um, we started a couple days before the Kickstarter trying to get it laid out. Uh, took about two and a half days to get it all laid out, and we were up and running the same time the Kickstarter went live. Yeah, that was a good push because, I mean, there wasn't a lot of information to populate it with, but it definitely it was nice to hit the ground running and, you know, start to have an official fan source for information about the game. Um, exactly. No. And that was, was Violation in on that one too? Uh, I don't think he was really involved on the, the setting up end. It was mostly just me and, and Fenny, uh, Seth. So we were the ones that were doing most of it. I, I don't know if it was him or you that did all the, uh, the URL work. But... Hmm. I don't even remember where UnderWiki is registered at, but whatever. That's cool. But yeah, that was a quick push. <laughs> Try to get everybody aligned and uh, use what little information they had on the teaser site to, to get it up and running. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you two were kind of feverishly, let's say. <laughs> it was several hours worth of work, yeah. So, well, it was a good job, though. I mean, it was nice to have that up and running and ready to go. So, uh, a few days into the Kickstarter campaign, um, there was another big reveal in that uh, it was confirmed that Underworld Ascendant would be set in the Stygian Abyss from Ultima Underworld. Um, you know, that was that was confirmed as the setting of the game. I mean, obviously, the Abyss uh, would not be following the exact layout of how it was presented in Underworld, um, mostly because at the end of Underworld, the volcano lit off and kind of destroyed all that. But at least that's one interpretation of how the game ended. But... So, which was really cool because, I mean, it also kind of told us exactly where EA was and wasn't willing to play ball with stuff that relates to Ultima. Like, they were obviously not willing to let the game be called Ultima Underworld, um, but at the same time, they were more than willing to allow for the use of that particular setting, which is in Britannia. So, you know, I mean, the tie to Ultima is very, very direct, even if it doesn't have the name on the box. And it'll be interesting to see how they, they start playing with that a little bit, because uh, they've said throughout the campaign that there would be no attachment to the overworld. Everything takes place in the under underworld itself. So, Right, right. So. That's not really a surprise, though. I mean, you'd kind of expect that they're just going to focus on making the dungeon romp. Um, mm -hmm. Overworld was never really their focus. So, <coughs> should be all right. Yeah. But it, it'll be interesting to see what they, they'll bring back. Um, we know that Sir Cabrius is there um, in the backstory. Uh, some of the other elements are there. So, if we see things like the Grand Staircase make an appearance or... Mm -hmm other things that, that may have survived. Yep. Well, we could see the eight virtues in there for all we know. Yeah. I mean, we definitely have runes, so <laughs> that, that's an interesting thing that's come out in the prototype. So it'll be nice to see the runic magic again, too. That'll be really interesting. So that was always yeah. my favorite magic system in the Ultimas. Even in the prototype, there's a limited version of it. It's a lot of fun to play with. Nice. All right, so moving on. Um, so about a week after they kicked off the Kickstarter, uh, they also, uh, Underworld Ascendant was also put on Steam Greenlight. Um, and a few days later, 
Uh, actually, hang on, let me look. Let me just... Okay, so it went on green light on the 12th of February, and it was formally greenlit on the 19th or 20th. I reported about it on the 20th. So, um, let's say a week, which is not bad, not bad at all. So, that was cool. Uh, skipping back in time then, um, on the 17th, uh, they confirmed that Terry Brosius and uh, Stephen L. Russell, so the voices of Shodan uh, from System Shock and Garrett from Thief, uh, were announced as voice actors for the project. Um, so it's, you know, it'll be nice to have them coming back. I mean, probably not reprising the roles for which we know them most, but certainly it'll be neat to have these familiar voices guiding us through the abyss as we go, or taunting us, depending on how... Uh, They also started um, releasing bits and pieces of lore. So they released something on, or they started a discussion on the, you know, the idea of fallen utopias, which of course very much uh, formed the core of Ultima Underworld's plot. And it sounds that, uh, or sounds like Underworld Ascended will be revisiting that in a fairly significant way. Um, we started getting some technical details about the game. It was announced that Dennis LeBay would be drawing the collector's edition box art. Um, and then, uh, 19th of February, Mac and Linux support. So by this point, I mean, we're about two weeks into the Kickstarter campaign and they had a really good start, but then it kind of plateaued. It started to really slow down and lose steam. So, um, I think one of the changes that, uh, probably came about as a result of that was the fact that, you know, uh, initially, Mac and Linux support had been listed as a stretch goal. Those were now made into a base goal. Um, and it was also announced that Tracy Hickman had signed on to write a tie-in novel about Underworld Ascendant, which, if I um, have this right, will be about, you know, basically the connection between Underworld and Shroud of the Avatar, so the story of the elves traveling to the abyss. Yep. Yeah, uh, it was great to see Tracy sign on for this Uh just because of the work he's already done in Shroud of the Avatar. So being able to, you know, have the same author work across both platforms is going to be a, a lot of, a lot of good stuff there. Yeah. Hopefully it results in a lot of um, consistency in the stories. Yes. So, yeah. all right. Um, let me think. So on the same day that they were greenlit on steam, they actually also crossed the half a million mark. Now, uh, that was not full funding for the project yet. I believe their base goal was, what, 650000 um, Something like that, yeah. So still hitting half a million, no easy feat, you know, nothing to laugh at. Um, the the, uh, the campaign did start to pick up a little bit, which was good. Uh, a few days later, Runic Magic was actually confirmed for the game. And uh, that was actually also when the t-shirts were announced. So, I mean, this is an audio podcast. You don't get the video side, but uh, Browncoat's wearing a very excellent um, Underworld Ascendant t-shirt. Yeah, it's it's very cool the, what they did. They took the, the print for the dwarves and dark elves fighting, and they made that into the front print as the logo at the top. And then on the back in Runic, it actually says Kickstarter backer. Nice. Nice. That's excellent. All right, where was I? T-shirts. Okay, so 
Uh, what else did we get a look at as the Kickstarter kind of got into its last week or so? We got a look at the combat system, or at least some teasers about the combat system. Um, uh, there were some new reward tiers announced, you know, kind of just trying to keep the momentum going on the campaign. And by the 27th of February, they were only about $3,000. Well, at the start of the 27th. So in the morning of the 27th, they are only about 3000 away from their Kickstarter goal. Um, they reached that goal later in the day. Um, there was also uh, a news post that went up, although I don't, I mean, Oculus Rift is cool tech, but it's very expensive to develop, obviously. So obviously you can't put a lot of, um, weight on this. Definitely can't treat it as a feature, but they did mention that they were, you know, doing a little bit of looking into Unity's support of the Oculus tech. Not that it wouldn't be exceedingly cool to run around the abyss in VR, but, uh, I mean, obviously, better spend the budget, I think, on getting the game actually built. So, Yeah, they did tease a little bit in a couple of their updates about uh, looking at VR, uh, kind of what the, the game prototype that they had at the time would look like in VR. Um, they even did a little bit with the... Uh, augmented reality the microsoft hololens and things like right. that so there there's definitely some tech that you can take advantage of in unity 5 uh there, it's not built in but it's fairly easy to add a do an add-on for that uh, but it's not so much getting that as an output as uh designing the ui and the the movement system around being able to support that down the road yeah totally i don't know how much work we're doing on that at this point <coughs> Yeah, no, I get that. And I mean, again, like it's cool tech, but it isn't exactly the cheapest thing. It is labor intensive. It's performance intensive. Um, it's, and, and you know. And it's a limited audience. Exactly. And I mean, at the end of the day, you know, they succeeded on Kickstarter. They hit several of their stretch goals, but at the same time, even now their crowdfunding campaign hasn't hit a million dollars, at least not the last time I looked. So better to focus the budget on the actual, you know, let's just build the game. Let's get the game built. Let's support how the majority of people are going to be playing it, which is, you know, traditional sit at your PC and play. Um, and not worry about um, this feature until, you know, maybe hopefully someday down the road, but not right now. Yeah, so, certainly. where were we here? Um, all right. Uh, actually, also on the 27th, there was a lot of news on the 27th. Um, they actually really, uh, they went and reworked some of their stretch goals. Uh, I think primarily to give the Lizardmen the priority. Because, of course, I mean, what is a, what is a romp through the abyss without the Lizardmen clicking at you? So, um, I, I think that became like the next stretch goal based on where they were at. And it was reached a couple of three days later. Um, or no, wait, no, that was not, that's not correct. Um, the first stretch goal was still where the Lizardmen would live, which is an area called the Underswamp. Um, and that was, that stretch goal was released, uh, or was reached a few days later. Um, a couple of days after that, they hit the $700,000 mark, which was the unlock for the Tracy Hickman novel. Uh, a day later, they hit 750000 which was the unlock for the Lizardmen themselves. Um, a day later, they hit 
800,000. So they got a really nice bump, uh, in, you know, fundraising at the end. Um, and what was that? That was the unlock for companion creatures and enhanced music. And then, uh, on the 6th of March, the Kickstarter campaign ended $859,000 or 859,000 dollars raised. So, uh, which was actually enough to unlock one more stretch goal. And we did a couple actually at the end. Um, they had the 850,000 stretch goal. And then at the, with the 859,000 they made plus what they made unlocking the, uh, PayPal account on their website. Right. They actually hit, uh, 860. So they had a little knee stretch goal for 860 that same day. Cool. What was that? Um, um, let me look back and see that they did a game that day, uh, in the comments section of their Kickstarter and they unlocked a, uh, goblet of, let's see, where would that go? Is it like drink this and you get healed or something? Excuse me. Uh, kind of, it was Sir Cabrius's goblet that he had hidden in the underworld or lost in the underworld and they uh whoever was able to find it if they found it during that game uh it would unlock for everyone oh cool so we actually did manage to get that um well that's cool and, and yes the eight hundred and sixty thousand was the bazaar of the arcane so it's a new uh spot to procure exotic items deep within the abyss neat so uh, the total with that stretch goal and their Kickstarter was $860,356. Nice. So, and I mean, you also um, just mentioned there, of course, PayPal. So now through the Underworld Ascendant website, their crowdfunding campaign continues. I don't believe, at least not the last time I had looked, they hadn't quite hit a million, but they're getting pretty close. So, Yeah, they're sitting right now at 915000 uh, they have hit another stretch goal since the end of Kickstarter. Um, so they have gotten their uh, language localization. Right. Um, and they've unlocked Licks as a enemy in the encounter. And Tybal is returning as a Lick. Yes. Well, I've got Tybal in the news a little bit later. So, but yes, that one was uh, that one was neat to see. But then again, you can't really have the Abyss without Tybal. So. All right. So. Post Kickstarter, of course, the game went into actually they really went into a lot of like design and prototyping past that point. So, um, actually, one of the first things they talked about, <coughs> excuse me, my goodness, one of the first things they talked about was a uh, a rough release schedule for prototypes, and they also put on a vote about the Lizardmen um, because they had two competing Lizardmen designs, and. Uh, let me see, a couple of weeks later, they actually reheld that vote um, because I guess it was kind of close. And so in the end, the design that won out was a little bit more frog-like, not the more um, alligator-like ones that, you know, we would recognize from the, you know, from Ultima Underworld. But still, I mean, it's an aesthetic thing and it's where the vote went. So there you go. I voted for the alligators. 
Yeah, it seemed to be the, the big contention wasn't so much the, the face as to whether or not a lizard man is a lizard man without a tail. Uh. So uh, I think uh, the one with the tail looks closer to what we had before. Uh, yes. But the aesthetic for the other one is, is definitely higher quality, I think. Um, but just stick a tail on it, and it's exactly what I would think. Looking <laughs> well, hopefully you can add a tail to any 3D model anyways. There you go. So, um, now, towards the end of March, they did hit a bit of a snag. They were having some issues migrating backer data from Kickstarter. Um, but that was, you know, also when they announced that the Lizardman design had been settled upon. And evidently, the Kickstarter issues got um, solved a few days later, so that's good. As April started, we started to get a look at um, their work with Unity 5, because they were really exploring Unity 5 at the time, especially the physically-based rendering, which I have to admit um, was the first time I'd heard about PBR. Um, <laughs> oh, that is terrible beer. Um, but uh, it was really cool to see like what they were able to do with this new rendering tech to take you know essentially a flat texture and make something that looks almost indistinguishable from a high poly 3d wall out of it so yeah it's a big uh, advancement they've made in unity in five so i think that's gonna definitely push up the graphical capabilities of those games definitely uh let's see so they uh a little bit later that month they were looking for an art lead so that would uh that came up on the gama sutra job boards um and then at about mid-April, they started talking about, uh, well, they started talking about a lot of different things at this point that they were looking at design-wise. So, for example, the ecology of the Stygian Abyss and, you know, how uh, the player's actions and maybe even NPC actions in the game would have um, potentially far-reaching impacts on the Abyss itself, right? Do you flood an area uh, to allow... A particular species to settle there well then that's going to have this impact over here for these other guys etc etc um think of it as like really a rehash or a, or a modernization of the artificial life engine idea from uh, ultima online which was ultimately cut but you know that idea that the entire world or as much of the game world as possible would be really responsive to the actions of the player and I think that will go a long way towards their sandbox approach they're making for this world. Uh, so everything inside of the Stygian Abyss is going to be uh, linked. Each of the different areas can bleed over into each other are going to do so at least somewhat sensibly uh, because you're going to have to use those to affect one another. Yep. Um, I mean, it sounds awesome, and I really hope they're able to pull it off. Uh and then for the next little while, the focus at least was on, uh, well, lava <laughs> from from about the middle of April until kind of the middle of May. Actually, uh, a lot of the focus was on um, lava particle systems, um, how these were supported by the Unity 5 engine, how fire damage would work in the game. Um, and then also as May kind of we got into the middle of May, they started talking about traps and in particular uh, some really neat ideas regarding how to use the physics system within Unity 
to really drive um, the trap system within the game. I mean, to drive a lot of stuff within the game, actually. It seems that they're really, really going to be relying very heavily on the physics engine. Um, but in the particular example that they gave, they were looking at, you know, how the traps were implemented. Yeah, I think everything that they're looking at, at least in that time period, was designed around take one of the aspects that you want to, that they wanted to go into and do it in a, a lot of different systems. So I think they were investigating at that time Unity and what Unreal could do for them and, and how much they could port between the different systems. They, they did show a couple of uh, pieces of lava that didn't look like they had done the same thing in Unity. Um, they they kind of went back and forth between those. So I think that was a lot of their test bed is, is what they were doing at that point. Yeah. And it's important to reiterate, I think, that, you know, for this whole, like, middle part of the year, most of the updates we got about the game were really, you know, they were spitballing ideas, they were sketching out concepts, they were discussing, you know, they were essentially including us in their tabletop design discussions. Um, you know, we weren't too, too much at the point of actually getting a glimpse of, you know, stuff that was actually being built towards the creation of the actual game itself. It's not to say that we weren't getting screenshots of like a physic, uh, a PBR rendered dungeon wall. It's not to say we weren't getting screenshots or even short video of some swinging axe blade traps in action. But all of this, all of this very much prototypical design based, um, probably not necessarily reflective of what we'll actually see in the game proper um, just kind of, you know, walking us through their design deliberations. Yeah, and I think a lot of that was the uh, the testing with physics, because to to pull off what they're wanting to do with the improvisation improvisation engine, I think they are very heavy into what the physics engine will do for them, so they don't have to recreate the wheel. Even right. If something that sounds good, it should work. Um, so hopefully that that's going to continue. Definitely. All right. Oh, hey, Helgriff, when did you sign in? How long have you been eavesdropping? He's been in a couple minutes. He said he was going to go look for a headphone, so he uh, doesn't fair have enough. a microphone set up right now. Well, refresh my. I need to refresh my own memory here, actually, regarding the Necropolis in particular. Because um, that is... I think it was the update where they showed the uh, portraits that uh, Sir Cabrius had started designing. Um, maybe, yeah. Hang on a sec. Okay, so, uh, so yeah, they were talking about the... Um, yeah, Tim Stelmuck did a big thing about the runic magic. Um, and it, <coughs> it actually sounded... Uh, really like something that I had always wished I had always wished I can really not talk today uh, runic magic would be which is to say that you know instead of just well I put these letters together and it creates this spell it's more that like um, each rune has a particular function that it performs and essentially the player could just combine them arbitrarily to create any number of effects. I mean, obviously it wouldn't have been possible with the Underworld Engine 1991-92 technology, but it would be really interesting to see if with Unity they can implement something like that so that, you know, basically like you could 
Uh, I mean, if nothing else, you could always just throw a Voss rune in front of any other spell to, like, give it a amplification, make it that much more powerful. Or... Um, yeah, and I think that was one of the examples they gave. Um, some spells in the Underworld, they, you could throw a Voss rune on it and make it better, uh, but you couldn't change you know, the type of magic magic damage it was doing or how many people it affected or things like that. So they were going to try to make that more dynamic. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's a great approach. Definitely. Um, I mean, again, <laughs> fun with physics, right? Exactly. So, okay, let's see if Helgruff's doing okay now. You there, Helgruff? Uh, maybe. All right. So, where were we? So, just to get you caught up, although you probably heard the last little bit, uh, we're at about mid-May, and we were talking about, um, well, the magic system design, and then also, um, this update was also where we got to look at the concept art for the Necropolis, as I think I mentioned. So, <clears throat> the description we got for that uh, was that, you know, like, this is deep in the darkness of the abyss, uh, where the restless dead and wandering spirits of a long-forgotten people... Uh, wander and wait in <laughs> wait with malevolent intent for those who still cling to life so sounds like a good place to visit this was also actually uh the update where they announced that joe fielder had joined the team so uh i mean you know his portfolio includes bajak infinite um the medal of honor series Things like that. So, I mean, someone who, you know, especially having come from Irrational Games, certainly has some experience with the children of Underworld and System Shock. So, it's nice to have him also handling the art direction for um, Underworld. Towards the end of May, uh, this was when it was announced that the regular updates, which were happening about every two weeks, um, posted by other side entertainment would be moving off of Kickstarter. So it would all be handling or all be happening through their website. Uh, moving into June, we saw some, uh, you know, just like progressions in the art concept discussions of the different biomes that would be found in the abyss. And again, a little bit of like how these would interplay with each other. And yeah, now Jason spoiled this one a little bit earlier, but mid June 12th of June, 2015, that was when, um, well, that was actually when they added Liches and Tyball to the $900,000 stretch goal. They hadn't actually reached that point yet, but... Um, Tyball. He was the big what bad in Ultima dead. Underworld 1. Yeah, I thought we left him dead down on level 7. Yes, well, he comes back as a Lich. And one of the prerequisites for becoming a Lich is, in fact, being dead. So, so we go closer to the best I see. <laughs> now, will we have to fight him again? Will he have princesses to kidnap? So many questions. All right. Tis my worst fear. <laughs> Wait, that was Serpentile. I think. Yes. Thy lies shall have brought thee low. There we go. Uh, Richard Garrett's voice acting. All right. So uh, towards the end of June, that was actually when they formally announced that their updates would be going bi-weekly, although, frankly, they'd kind of been doing that already. Um, by 
actually it wasn't even in July. They were really close, uh, but then fundraising kind of slowed throughout July a little bit, it seems. Um, they did, however, towards the end of announce, uh, towards the end of July, announce that Shadow Beasts uh, would be returning to the Abyss for Underworld Ascendant. Um, I seem to recall having a, uh, a rather amusing conversation on Google, well, like Google Chat, with I think Sirgorn Dragon regarding the Shadow Beasts, because he's just like, what? Someone at any rate, someone was just like, Shadow Beast? Um, and I'm just like, well, there were only like two of them in the original Ultima Underworld, so presumably we'll be encountering more in Ascendant, but uh, yeah. Yeah, I've seen more in the trailer that they put out for Ascendant than I saw in the game I played through several times. So Yeah, well, I think there actually are only like two, maybe three in all of Underworld, so... They're yeah. not they're not randomly placed like they they're in particular portions of the abyss. Yeah, and they're mostly invisible, so you can walk right past them and not even realize it. Hmm. Got some weird rattling in the background. Oh, whatever. All right. So, uh, yes. Just uh, just into August, so the 4th of August, they hit the $900,000 mark. So we got the Liches, uh, and that means Tyball, of course. Um, a couple of weeks later, uh, the update talked about um, Other Side Entertainment. Uh, uh, I cannot talk. Other Side Entertainments. There we go. Plan to break free of fantasy tropes and not fall prey to, you know, some of the typical... Uh, tropes of the dungeon crawler genre so which is interesting coming from a group whose main enemies include dwarves and dark elves yeah well i mean okay to be fair the elves kind of have an, a different uh at least a different way they came about indeed i mean novia's dark elves almost have an origin story on par with that of like tolkienish orcs or Uruk High. Yeah, I. It, it's definitely an interesting way to take that, and um, it will be interesting to see how Tracy spins it to get the uh, the beautiful dark elves out of our twisted nightmare elves of Novia. But yeah, totally. Um, this was also when they announced the nine hundred twenty-five thousand dollars stretch goal, which was the Wailing Haunt, uh, class of spectral creatures that you know relentlessly hunt the living. And they're blind, but they are motion-sensitive and are drawn to it. So if you stand still, they might pass you by. Um, again, more fun with physics. And we're getting really close to that goal now. Yes. Yeah, we're coming up on that now. Um, as we moved into September, so about mid-September and then again, uh, end of September, this was when you know we really started hearing about the first playable prototype of Underworld Ascended. Um and <laughs> this is also when they kind of let the mask slip the most and actually gave us, you know, uh, an actual tabletop design conversation sample uh, in one of their updates. But yeah, no, we started seeing the prototype, uh, started seeing like real progress being talked about on the prototype uh, about middle of September. And we got our first glimpse of that uh, just into October, 7th of October. Uh, some Underworld Ascended gameplay footage was shown off on the PC Gamer Show. 
a few days later, actually, yeah, a few days later, we got the video again, this time with Tim Stelmach narrating. Um, we got uh, a discussion of how physics will impact the gameplay of Underworld Ascendant. I'm going to have to uh, race through the rest of this, unfortunately. Um, and then, as, this, uh, as November kind of came to an end, it was announced that the prototype build would be released first to high-level backers and then to kind of mid-tier backers, um, and then to still yet more backers. And um, we also saw some discussion right at the end of the year about, again, more about the combat system. So um, now, Jason, you've played the prototype? Yes, very good. Um... The prototype, it's it's kind of an interesting. Mm, how do you want to put it? It's it's technically interesting. Um, it's kind of run and jump, kind of like a portal game. Um, but it's got the very first batch of runic magic in it. So oh, you've nice. got oh five or six different runes that you can use as a prefix and five or six that you can use as a suffix and uh, one of them will allow you to grow plants so if you aim it at the ceiling it grows a vine if you aim it at the wall or the floor it grows a mushroom that's funny um, if you uh there's another one that will create fire put out fire um move wind uh create small blocks of stone um, and then ones that will destroy or move those same things. Uh, so it's kind of a kind of a technical type. Um, there's a few things that you can do in there. Your your main idea is to try to get across the small piece of the abyss that we've seen so far to find a treasure chest. Um, but there's also 14 little rabbits that are hidden throughout the level. So you, your secondary is to try to collect all of those, oh, uh, which is very difficult. Um, there's one that's on a, a little piece of stone sitting inside of a lava flow, and you have to find a way to get down to it, jump onto the stone, and then hopefully get back up. Uh, so very interesting game. All right. Well, my voice is about to give out. Um, and my kids are joining me now. Hello, girls. All right, so always remember, if you like Spam, Spam, Spam Humbug, please leave us a review on iTunes or Stitcher or Podbean or wherever you listen to us. But more importantly than that, though, make sure you subscribe. Uh, this is especially true for iTunes. The more subscriptions a podcast has, the more visible it'll be. Um, there's the Patreon. A $1 pledge will get you access to Spam, Spam, Spam Humbug episodes the day before they go live here on the Ultima Codex. Uh, and you'll be helping maintain and, you know, with sufficient funding, expand the server infrastructure of the Codex to better deliver everything you come looking for thereat. But if that's not your thing, you can also um, support us by buying computer games through GOG. If you're a CD Projekt Red fan, if you're an Indie Games fan, if you like playing the old classics, the Codex is a GOG affiliate, so all you got to do is uh, visit the Codex first, click on the GOG banner in the sidebar, and then go about your business. You won't pay a cent more for your games. And we'll get a bit of commission. There's an Ultimate Dragons group on Facebook. There's an Ultimate Dragons community on Google+. And there's also a woefully underused UDIC hashtag on Twitter. Make use of any of those. You know, um, join your fellow Ultimate Dragons. Show your Ultima pride. Finally, if you'd like to recommend anyone for a shout-out, send us an email, ultimacodex at gmail.com, which you can also use to suggest podcast topics, 
or offer commentary or criticism about episodes, or even volunteer your time as an occasional or regular contributor. So on that note, good night. Farewell. <laughs> and Jason as well. Alright, well it was good to talk to you guys, and uh, hopefully we'll see some more news from Underworld, and we'll get together and talk about it. Alright, well thanks again guys. I've gotta go. Um... But this has been good, and I look forward, I know, and I know you do too, to hearing more about Underworld Ascendant in the year to come. And as always, be virtuous. Virtuous.